0: I'd like you to watch a video, I think I may have shown it last year, so forgive my, my repetition here. It's just my, it's probably my favorite clip for us to use uh, around this time of year. So let's roll that video, I love this. <laughs> I'm alive! I'm alive! <sighs> yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah! Uh, hey, Christine, you're here too! I love you! I know! Dad! What's happening? Oh. Honey, the power works! It's coming! It goes on and off! Whatever we want! <laughs> We've got clean water! Oh, that's great! Look at that! Ooh! I bet I know what this does! Rain down the glorious water! <laughs> Shoes. Oh, what do we got here, guys? Food. Mm. Hey, I love this. food. What? A, a, a Do I have work? This is awesome. Come on, look at him. D. The what? Hey, Jack, be careful. Ooh. I have a car. <laughs> Did you guys see this? Yeah, you have a car. Oh 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 a <laughs> car! Right,
1: don't forget part. your coffee.
0: You're the best. <laughs> I mean, isn't that great? I mean, isn't that just, it just puts it out there because we do tend to just take for granted everything we have in life. And so here we are in the middle of this beautiful Christmas season, and we're just used to everything. And so, what I'd like to speak to—we've been kind of like in the series of "Don't miss it," and and don't miss the moments, and don't miss the, the 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 people. And and I just I want us to regain the wonder a little bit. I so so I don't want us to miss the wonder of it all. Like there ought to be something in us, much like what we just saw about the whole Christmas story, about our relationship with Christ, about what he actually went through to get here and what what the whole thing means to us. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that today because the truth of the matter is we've all heard the statement that familiarity breeds contempt. But a lot of times it just breeds indifference. It doesn't always have to go to contempt. But when you just get so used to something, you become indifferent to it the more you become familiar with an event then there's less fascination to it and the newness begins to fade off I call it normalcy it's like you just no matter where you are in life that becomes normal and you wish you had a little bit better no matter what car you drive you wish you had a nicer one no matter what house you live in, it's not good enough. It's like everything in our life that is normal to us, we want better. And I think it's, I think, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting more out of life and wanting better. I just think we need to be happier with what God has given us, the people that we're in love with, and work on those relationships and work on appreciating who we are in Christ and what He's given to us and the life that we live. And I think you'll enjoy the moments more if you learn to do that. But, but, but here's the problem. What happens is indifference creates vacuum. And what happens is our indifference, we get used to everything. It's not as fascinating anymore. It's not as fun or exciting anymore. And so what happens then, we have to replace that because we want that feeling. We want that fascination. We want that excitement about running water, right? Please don't wrap up my coffee cup, though. But we want that excitement, we want to feel that. That's why we love kids at Christmas time because they still have that, and we can we can live it out kind of through them. But there's a lot about this time of year that we ought to be able to relive and enjoy. And that vacuum that indifference creates, then what we do is we try to get something else to fill the void that our indifference has created. I know this is, you got to put your thinking caps on, but it's the reason that there is a void there is because because the space that was left by our indifference has to be full of something. But you don't have to create the vacuum. You can enjoy what you have and, and appreciate who you're with and enjoy the season and not feel like it has to take something new to create what that gentleman just experienced. Because what that gentleman just experienced was what we already have. And I realized that there was a point behind all that, and I doubt that he wakes up that way every morning. But the problem with indifference is that many people who have it don't know it, and those that do have it don't care. So it's like because they're indifferent about it. I believe this. I believe that if we would, and this is kind of off topic a little bit, I believe that if we would work harder on the relationships that we have, we wouldn't need a new wife or a new husband. But because it's become familiar and it's now we're indifferent, we start looking elsewhere. I think that if we would Learn, I believe that we get into financial problems because we get used to what we have and we want something new. But three months after you buy it, you got fries stuck in the CD player anyway, right? It just, it, I mean, it just becomes normal. What you, what you were so anxious to get and what you, were, what you were so banking on making you happy, now that you have it, you realize that everybody else is driving one. And how come you never noticed that before? And now you want something else. And what's funny is like when you fix your car up to sell it and you wash it and clean it and put a for sale sign on it, you stand back and look at it and say, yeah, that thing looks pretty nice. Maybe I don't want to sell it. And that's the way it is with relationships. If you work harder on the relationships that you have, maybe you don't need to replace it. Because sometimes you get what you wanted, but you lost what you had. So just be careful with this indifference. So where does indifference come from? What what causes indifference? And and my goodness, there are studies done on this. And, And what I'm trying to do is just kind of stay in the Christmas story and pull some truths out of the story that we're familiar with on where some of this indifference came from. So, for instance, the innkeeper, I think... His indifference came because of his own preoccupation. He was just a busy guy, and I'm not going to throw him under the bus. I don't, I don't feel that the innkeeper was being necessarily hostile or unsympathetic. He was just incredibly busy. The situation in his life was that all of these people were having to come to Bethlehem to be uh, counted, and, and and there was a big census being taken, and he did not have any room for anybody, and here comes this couple, yeah, she's pregnant, maybe you waited to the last minute, here you are, I got no room, but at, at least you can stay here. But he was preoccupied, he didn't know who this was, he didn't know... The situation, maybe you could have reacted differently, but I think the innkeeper was probably preoccupied like so many of us are. And then there's King Herod. King Herod was full of prideful fear. And there is, if you want to uh, read something that will just add a whole new dimension to the Christmas story, read about Herod he was a ruthless individual that was just paranoid about anybody taking over his position as king of the Jews. That's what he actually called himself, king of the Jews. And so when he hears of this newborn baby that is the king of the Jews, obviously he's concerned. This guy went to the point where, where he knew when he was getting a little bit older, and he, he went ahead and killed his brother because his brother could have succeeded him. And then he killed his brother's wife and their two sons to make sure that there was no threat to his throne. All right, here's, he knew how hated he was. So he had a law written that after he died, because he knew nobody would mourn his death, after he died, he selected a number of prominent Jewish fathers to be killed so that Jerusalem would mourn. They wouldn't mourn him, but he would make sure that they were mourning somebody. That's the kind of ruthless man Herod was. And so, yeah, he's full of pride, full fear, and he didn't recognize who Jesus really was. And then there's the religious crowd. And here's what's amazing about the religious crowd. They were so busy with their religion that they did not even recognize the fact that they needed a savior. So they were great rule keepers and they they figured it all out. They knew exactly how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. They knew exactly what constituted work. They knew how many ounces of this or how many grains of this were needed to sacrifice. I mean, they knew all the rules. And they were so wrapped up in their religion. Here's the thing, they had God all figured out. Who needs Jesus? I've got this whole religion thing all figured out. I say this many of that and this many of this and I'm okay. We need Jesus. But that causes indifference. And this is the most tragic of all, I think, is is the town of Nazareth. So, So the people of Nazareth had become so familiar with this Jesus so that's so you know he's born in bethlehem but then he was raised in nazareth he spent 30 years or so in nazareth and the people of nazareth didn't even know who he was i think uh, so so we know and I, I wish i wish we could have been there or or or, or have more uh, information about what it was like so we know that that mary gave birth and she she was there was a big scandal involved in all of that and so as she's raising him as a child you wonder what the people of the town thought of the credibility of Christ if they got pregnant before they were married and at the age of 30 he begins his ministry he goes to the temple in nazareth and he reads some scripture and basically as he's reading this scripture he is saying i'm the guy i'm i'm the guy that that isaiah is talking about here i'm the one that was promised i'm the savior i'm the son of god and here's what they say to him in in luke chapter four he says is not this joseph's son they didn't even recognize him as who he was because of their familiarity And then we see later on in the book of Mark where he says this, and and, and it's a similar, similar story here, and he says he marveled because of their unbelief, and then that unbelief led to this in the book of Matthew chapter 13, he says this, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So here was Jesus right in the middle of them for 30 years, they never recognized him for who he was, and that's a blanket statement, there may be some. We know that Simeon and Anna, I mean, they. we knew that, we know that some people recognized him for who he was. But as a general rule, most of the city of Nazareth had no idea. What a tragedy because of their familiarity. And let me be honest with you. I think that's our problem. We've become so familiar. We can quote Luke chapter 2. We know the story. Luke chapter 2, it was the night before Christmas. No, that's not it. That was... But I think that it is is who we have become. And how easy is it, listen, how easy is it to get used to Jesus and used to Christmas and the whole story and what all has happened? Let me tell you, it takes effort to keep it fresh. But the Old Testament in particular is full of God giving instructions to his people of Israel to do something intentional to remember an event. Right? And the Bible is full of words like refreshing and rejoicing and remembering and reliving. The idea that, that God did something great and don't forget about it. Go back there and remember what that felt like. Remember what that was like, and that's the beautiful thing about celebrating Christmas is it gives us the opportunity to go back to such an incredible event and make it fresh again, make it new again. So, so in Joshua chapter 4, you had the people of Israel crossing over the Jordan into the promised land, and they get over just like they had crossed the Red Sea, right? They walk right across, and they get into the promised land, and God causes them to stop And says, I want you to get 12 stones, one to to represent each tribe of Israel. And I want you to build up this altar, he called it. And the purpose of the altar was to prompt conversation. And the purpose of the altar was to jog your memory. And the purpose of the altar was to cause you to pause just for a minute and remember what happened years ago at this place. To when your kids go by and they're walking with your dad, and then and, 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 and you go by, and the kids say, "Dad, what was what was that all about? Why are those stones piled up like that?" Let me tell you what happened here, son, and then you relive that. Altars were a beautiful way to remember major events or instances in our lives when you connected with God. I mean, a pile of rocks, yeah. Because the thing is, it's not about the rocks. It's about the remembering. It's about the reliving. It's not about the item. It's about what took place and the connection that you made with God. All right, let me let me. You'll, you'll understand this. So, um, have you ever gone back to to an old house that you used to live live in, and the memories that that brings up, and you can kind of read, and you, I mean. A house that you lived in when you were younger, mine was in Tunkhannock, Pennsylvania. Some of the greatest moments of my life as a young teenage boy, I was free. I had a little motorcycle I could ride around, and we were right in the middle of a bunch of cornfields, and this big old house on five acres, and it was just a great place to grow up, surrounded by cows and corn. I couldn't hardly do any damage to anything. I think that's why my mom and dad lived there to reduce the collateral damage of my existence. And so we, I hadn't been back there for years. We moved away when I was like 14, 15 years old. And so my wife and I get married and on our honeymoon we're driving up and we go through Pennsylvania. I said, I'd love to stop and take a look at this place. And so we drove down the dirt road in Tunkhannock, And even when we drove into the town, I got misty-eyed. And I got a knot in my stomach, just all of the thoughts and, and all the places that I went with my mom and dad there and, the, and all of the cool moments. And we even drove up to the, the hospital where my mom and dad used to work. And then we drive down this dirt road and the house seems so small. It was like huge when I was a kid, but now it looks so dinky and small. But all the memories that are there, its listen, there's nothing special about that place. It's all of the memories that were there. That's the reliving. That's the reconnecting. We have that in us. And that's what I'm saying. It takes work. It takes effort to go back there again and relive it. So let's not become indifferent in our relationship with Christ. Create an altar. Do something intentional to reconnect you with where you were. I say it all the time, but the other day I polished my shoes and I pulled out my dad's Tupperware shoe polishing kit. He's had that as long as I can remember. I remember pulling that out of the closet to help him shine his army boots back in the early 70s. And when he died, I brought that home. And it's a big old, it's stained, it's nasty looking, but it's got all of his shoe shine stuff, his shoe shine brushes in there. And I took that out and it just immediately connected me with my dad again. As I'm putting the stuff on and polishing it all up and buffing it all up, that's a, that's a thing for me. And that just, you know, and I say it all the time because that is one of those things that I do on a regular basis that connects me. I call it a thin spot. It connects me with my dad. And it helps me relive moments. I was talking with a pastor friend who just lost his dad a couple, two weeks ago. And as we're talking, I'm crying. And my dad's been gone for 10 years. I'm reliving that. I know what it felt, and I remember what it felt like to lose my dad. Those are thin spots. Those are things that you can go back to. And relive them and refresh them and they become real. And I'm saying that's what we need as believers, as Jesus followers, to have something to be able to go back to and reconnect with. That's why I love this time of year. What if we just enjoyed what we have now? What if we cherished our spouse now? What if we enjoyed the time with our kids now? Because you'll wish you had it later. And just enjoy the life that God has given you and make the most out of it. Let's be more intentional during this time of year and not lose the wonder of it all. So just a few things that we can learn, and this won't take but a couple of minutes. A few things that we can learn about how to regain the wonder. First of all, I think it takes prayer. Pray about it. What a beautiful example here. So Mary says this beautiful prayer in Luke chapter 1. And the first thing she does is she makes much of God. Right? Her prayer, the very first line in her prayer, and Mary said, My soul does magnify the Lord. That word magnify means to make much of. My soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary made much of God, and then second of all, Mary's prayer expressed gratitude. And there's more than just two verses here. It goes all the way down to verse 55, everything that she is grateful to God for herself and for her people Israel. For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. Could I just ask you, when you pray, be genuine with God. Tell them how you're feeling. You know, what's, you know what's great? You don't have to be spiritual with God. He knows what you're really like, right? He knows who you are. Be real. If you're upset, let him know. If you disagree, tell him. If you're hurting, be honest. But just pray about it. God, I don't want this to get stale. I want this to be special. I want this Christmas to be meaningful to my kids. I want them to understand what it's all about. I need to freshen up my relationships. I need to relive what interested me in the first place. I need to be happier with what I have. Pray about it. And then second of all, ponder what has happened. I love this word. I love this word. And to be honest with you, I think Luke 2.19 is my favorite verse in the whole Christmas story and then in verse 19 it says this but mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart that word kept is also the word treasured and the idea is to collect all these things together so that you don't lose them and so she kept all these things and then that word ponder is beautiful it means to lay them all out in front of you and study them So you're keeping them all together so you can lay them all out and take a look at them and just let it all soak in. This was my mom. My mom was a ponderer. My mom didn't speak like, she didn't have like a, uh, she had a very sharp tongue. She's an incredibly intelligent woman, but she, she learned to hold her tongue for the right moment. She was the queen of tact. She could tell you where to go and you'd be looking forward to getting there. That was my mama, but she had this thing where where all of this stuff is going on, and she's just quiet, and you and you can just see the wheels turning. She's pondering. She's she's and boy, I tell you, she was like a filing cabinet. Like she could pull something up from thirty years ago, and you don't even know that it happened because you've forgotten it by now. The problem with that is that she was so good at it that you really couldn't argue whether it happened or not, and she could make stuff up. And she had such a good track record, you wouldn't know that she... My wife has that gift. <laughs> like, she says that we had this conversation, and I really don't think we had. But I know that I'm so bad at remembering things, I have to take her word for it. Um, and I don't make her produce documentation anymore. That's not good for relationships. But she pondered, and then in, later on, I didn't put the verse up there, but in verse 51, you know, Jesus goes, and he gets lost in the temple, and they're getting on to Jesus for getting lost. And, and then he looks at him and says, Well, didn't you know I was going to be about my father's business? Not Joseph, his father, but his heavenly father. And there again, we see this pondering that she did. It's just a beautiful characteristic. I just think we need to ponder things. Just think about them a little bit more. We're really good at doing We're not really good at being. We're really good at being busy. We're not really good at pondering and letting things sink in and counting the value of what we have. Melissa and I say it all the time. I mean, I I really think almost every time we're in the car together and we're holding hands and one of us will say it, we've got a good life. We've got a good. We got a good thing. We got we, we're we got a good life. And I think just thinking about the life that you have helps with some of that wonder being regained. And then finally here, and we'll shut this down, but personalize the story. This was all about you, you know that? And if you'd been the only one, or if there had been just a few of you on earth, it still would have been worth it to God for Jesus to die and win you back. You are what this is all about. I read this this week, and and there's actually a book out that I just ordered called Had He Not Come. It was written in 1938. And it was just revamped, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago and put into illustrative form so you could read it to your kids. But it's called, Had He Not Come? And so there was a a little shortened version of it that I found that a pastor wrote. And it basically is a very short Christmassy type story. And it says this, a Christmas story was once published with a title, If Christ Had Not Come. The story began with a pastor falling asleep in his study on Christmas morning and dreaming of a world into which Jesus never came. In his dream, he found himself looking through his home, but there were no little stockings in the chimney corner, no Christmas bells or wreaths of holly, and no Christ comfort, gladden, and save. He walked out to the street. There was no church with its spire pointed to heaven. He came back and sat down in his library, but every book about the Savior had disappeared. The doorbell rang, and a messenger asked the preacher to visit his poor dying mother. He hastened with the lad, and he reached the home and sat down and said, Here, I have something that will comfort you. He opened his Bible to to look for a familiar promise, but the book that he was holding ended in Malachi. And there was no gospel, no promises of hope and salvation, and he could only bow his head. And weep with her. And what if he hadn't come? But he did. And he came for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have ever lasting life hey you're the whosoever and i don't know what your relationship with christ is this morning but you're it you're the whosoever maybe this is all new to you you don't feel a connection (laughs) you came to the right place i'd love to introduce you to jesus maybe you maybe you already have a relationship with him but it's gotten stale You're the whosoever. You're what this is all about. And how tragic would it be if our own indifference caused us to look somewhere else or sapped the joy out of our lives when we are the focus of his love? Personalize the Christmas story. Let's make this a great Christmas. And let's on purpose regain the wonder and enjoy and appreciate all that's been done for us to have the life that we enjoy. Let's pray. Jesus, we do love you. And we are grateful. But sometimes we say it, but don't feel it. And sometimes we acknowledge it, but don't live it out. And help us to enjoy all that you've done for us and look at it with refreshed eyes and relive and revisit and create those memories and the altars in our life that take us back to when we connected with you and help us to intentionally regain the wonder and awe of everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I just